Welcome to the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving. We provide education and information on senior care topics. Here's your host, Ryan McInniff. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Caregiver's Toolbox, tools for everyday caregiving, where we give you information and education about senior care topics. My name is Ryan McInniff. I am the owner of Minute Women Home Care, a private home care agency located in Lexington, Massachusetts. And you can reach out to me very easily through Twitter at FreedivingCEO, at FreedivingCEO. And so that's a way to connect with me if you're interested in becoming a guest on the podcast or you uh, want to chat about um, senior care topics. That's the best way to reach me. So today is a is Tuesday, the 26th of May. Hopefully you had a great Memorial Day. Obviously a time to uh, remember those that have fallen defending our country. Um, but for many as well, it's the time to be able to get together and have cookouts and be able to see family and friends. A little bit more difficult with COVID-19, if not impossible for most. But it's still a time to, um, uh, to, to think about those who have sacrificed themselves in, in defense of this country while also um, maybe having some thoughts and some time to appreciate your own family and your close friends um, you know, who have benefited from uh, those who have, have uh, made the ultimate sacrifice. So with this, uh, with this week, I'm trying to put out much more podcasts. And one of the things that I was reading over the weekend that I thought was interesting was an article from NPR that said that the, the title of it is Ideal Nursing Homes Put Quality of Life before profits. And so you kind of know from the article uh, headline, um, the article title, what this is going to be about and who it's going to be pointing the finger at. And it's talking about how nursing homes are putting profits before uh, patients. And so, you know, one of the, I'll, I'll go through like I do usually and read some snippets that I find most interesting. Um, um, you know what what this article though talks about and it has it has issues with is um that nursing homes are set up to maximize profits while um not set up to maximize um quality of care quality of life and and at the end of the day positive uh, outcomes for the patients that reside there whether that's on the short-term side or the long-term side now if you believe that or you you uh, feel that way then that's certainly your opinion um, and you can you know make your own opinion but I'm here to talk about kind of what this article says and my thoughts on it and so basically what what happens is they have some experts that talk about these nursing homes and you know, one of the things that, that brought this to the forefront was um, how quickly COVID-19 and coronavirus ripped through nursing homes. And we're all learning that now, as, as I said in one of the last podcasts, that infection control is a major issue and Achilles heel when it comes to nursing homes. Um, you know, and it says right here that they're, they're, they're learning that nursing homes have struggled with infection control long before coronavirus came around, which we talked about just in a few previous episodes. Um, annually, well over a million nursing home residents con, uh, 
um, contract infections, and as many as 388,000 die per year. Um, so, you know, we're talking about how horrible it is that the coronavirus might kill a few hundred thousand people or half a million people. Well, every single year, 388,000 uh, uh, nursing home residents die because of infection, uh, because of infections that they contract. Um, even before the pandemic began, nursing homes and inf inspectors found that one third of nursing nurses and nursing assistants did not wash their hands properly and a quarter were using personal protective equipment incorrectly. But nursing homes haven't had to worry about inspectors citing them for those failings, says Charlene Harrington, the nursing and sociology, who's a professor of nursing and sociology at the University of California, San Francisco. The fines are so small that they don't really have an impact on the nursing home. It's just the cost of doing business. The pandemic exposed the weakness of the nursing home system. Facilities were short of PPE and uh, basically makeshift PPE was, was being used when uh, a standard PPE could not be found. And, you know, nursing homes have not been a priority for testing, which is extraordinarily surprising for me, to me, um, which is a key step in catching infections before they spread. Um, in a recent call with state governors, Vice President Pence encouraged them to, to see that all nursing home uh, residents and staff were tested for the coronavirus, but the Trump administration is not mandating this, which I think is a mistake. Yet despite nursing homes' overwhelming number of cases, deaths obtaining tests has remained a struggle. Um, you know, it seems to me that we're getting tests seems to be a lot easier now. I don't know if that's the case nationwide. Obviously, I can only... Um, can only show you, tell you my experiences in my little corner of the world, but it seems like tests are getting easier to find. So I'm kind of surprised that obtaining tests has remained a struggle. But, um, you know, that's what, what's being said, and we've obviously heard that for a long period of time. Now, of course, uh, in any good article, they have opposing views or they have, you know, people that represent nursing homes and assisted livings. And uh, this gentleman, Mark um, Parkinson is the president and chief executive, uh, the CEO of the American Health Care Association and National Center for Assisted Living. Um, and, you know, he basically is pointing the finger at money. Um, he says that money will be, uh, that the money is the issue. And the truth is, the quote he says is, the truth is that nursing homes have not, have not failed America. The public health system has failed nursing homes. Um, Long-term care facilities are doing everything possible to stop the spread, but we need help. Um, so, you know, the point that he's making at is that they, they're, they're, they're lobbying Congress to get $10 billion, and they say that money will be used for additional staff, hazard pay, and to make up for the losses they've decided they've, they've taken due to the inability to admit new patients during COVID-19 crisis. Which, you know, is, is um, another um, segment of the industry that needs a bailout, basically, because nobody's going to nursing homes, because nobody's going to hospitals to get elective surgery, so, and, and, and nobody's placing their parents in long-term facilities because, um, you know, for many, they're worried that that might be a death sentence.
Um, so one of the one of the interesting parts of this article was how to fix this problem. Like we know that there's a problem. Clearly, there's a problem with nursing homes. How do we fix it? And there there are some creative ideas, some more realistic than others at the point this point. But David Grabowski, the professor of healthcare policy at Harvard School. Um, who's been teaching about nursing homes and studying the area for 20 plus years. So obviously he's a smart individual and should know about this stuff. Um, he goes, quote, and I thought this was a great thing. I mean, not great, but an interesting quote. I'm still waiting for the individual that wants to go to a nursing home. That person probably isn't out there. He goes on to say, I, re I would really think about, uh, think about smaller home environments where we value the caregivers and value the residents. He imag imagines houses with just 8 to 12 residents living together. I think in general we've had way too much focus in terms of regulation on quality of care and not enough on the qu quality of life in these homes. Also, limiting occup occupancy can help control the spread of infection. And it's not just the spread of infection of the coronavirus. Obviously, we're ha having issues with uh, uh, infection control on the good years when, you know, nearly 400,000 people are dying from infection control annually. Um, additionally, a um, individual that uh, is, is involved in, uh, is the CEO of a CCRC, um, Daniel Ruth, who is the CEO of San Francisco for Jewish uh, Living, says he absolutely believes um, that all rooms should be single rooms. And currently, many nursing homes um, house residents to two or three or even four people to a room, all sharing one bathroom, making it easier for infections to spread. And so this is something that certainly we're going to talk about a little bit more. But you know, at the end of the day, this article is, is about two things. It's about uh, how much we value um, older adults. And, and the fact of the matter is that we really don't value them that much, apparently, in this country. And, and, and we show that through the lack of money that is given for reimbursements for these, um, these, these nursing homes. Additionally, the, the second issue that I think is going to be brought up now and down the line is, should nursing homes be involved in uh, owned by uh, for-profit companies? And it's the same question that we should be asking about healthcare in general. Should healthcare be for profit or run by a nonprofit? Do we need Medicare for all? Or do we have some hybrid where maybe there's no Medicare for all, but you can't be a for profit company and be running medical services like nursing homes and like hospitals? Um, those are all things that uh, I think are questions that are coming to the forefront now that we've seen how poorly. And, and run and how vulnerable that these facilities are. And I'm not necessarily saying that this is just, you know, that, that you know, um, that Mark Patterson is a, a bad guy, that he's a horrible human being and he doesn't care about old people. I'm sure that's the complete opposite and I'm sure he does care very much. But at the same time, you can only do with what, what you have. And when your reimbursements are so very low, then, then there's only so much money that can, can be beat. That can be used. Um, so it goes on to say also say talk about the inspection program and the inspection program is interesting because right now um, the the complaint um, about this that David Grabowski has is that the in inspection system is mainly used to 
to be punitive and combative. It's, it's meant to penal, penalize people instead of improving things. So his point is, is that they'll go in, that an inspector will go in, they'll find an error, they'll write that error down, and they'll go back to their boss and say, hey, there's an error over at ABC Nursing Home Company, we need to find them. Instead, why isn't that inspector improving the situation by teaching that person on how to, how to properly uh, provide care to properly uh, make sure that um, they're they're following prevention uh, in, in infection control measures. And so his point is is that why are we just penalizing them and just going going back instead of showing them and teaching them how to correctly do things? Um, you know the 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 big issue that they're finding with these infection control um, uh, citations. That they're giving out is that nursing assistants are running from one resident to the other without hand washing. It's one of the main reasons that nursing homes are so often cited. So, you know, this then goes into the question of staffing. And we talked about staffing recently when it came to nursing homes and how there's not a whole lot of money left on the bone uh, and not, not meat left on the bone, meaning money and for-profit companies are going to make their margins one way or another. So how do you go about staffing and how do you go about saving money to make that profit? Well, staffing is going to suffer because of it. And um, and so, you know, many of these citations from nursing homes that from or infection control to patients with bed sores to nutrition problems can all be traced back to insufficient insufficient staff. And it's something that's almost never cited directly. But they go on to say that over 70% of nursing homes are for-profit. That's the And that's the primary way for for-profit companies to save money is to reduce their staff to lower their cost, which is something we were just talking about in the last uh, podcast or two. But um, Grabowski, and if you remember, Grabowski is the uh, CEO of the American Healthcare Association and National Center for Assisted Living. So he's their spokesman and he's their representative for nursing homes and assisted livings, at least in his area, um, thinks the major reason for nursing homes is that there's not a, that they don't have enough staff is Medicaid. Uh, Medicaid pays for most nursing home residents, but it doesn't pay much. Nursing homes can barely break even on a Medicaid resident. And that's what I've heard um, regularly from nursing homes is that as more and more of those individuals are Medicaid patients, they are barely breaking even if not they're losing money. And if you're losing money, then how are you going to provide proper staff, proper proper training, and proper quality of life? And, and it goes on to talk about this with proper quality life. So they were, they go on to talk, you know, uh, of the CEO, Daniel Ruth talks about if I was king of the world, there would be a much greater pr proportion of nursing homes that are run by not for profits. Ruth says that he was not only able to, um, he was, he, he explains that because he's a nonprofit, he feels that he was able to put um, uh, people's lives before profits. And he shows that by saying that with the COVID crisis, Ruth was able to devote a separate wing of his facility to care for COVID positive patients and give them a dedicated staff. And he was also able to take rooms that might ordinarily be filled with residents and convert them to spaces for staff to relax, shower, and do laundry, which also protects them from infection. But, but there is one caveat that I would like to, to say to Daniel 
roof. And where this can be a little bit misleading, if not a little bit disingenuous. If I'm correct with um, the, the Jewish, um, the CEO of the San Francisco for Jewish uh, Living, which I believe is a CCRC, a Continued Care Retirement Community. A CCRC has three wings. It has independent living, it has um, assisted living, and then it has a nursing home side. So, you know, my point with this is that Ruth, the CEO of this company, might have the money to be able to dedicate a separate wing to COVID patients because he has uh, two thirds of his business is for profit, meaning that um, it's a cash business. Assisted living is cash business. Uh, independent living is a cash business. He's he's basically has two thirds of his business is cash where people are renting out rooms and either getting no services or limited services and every single month rent is due and that's where he probably makes the most amount of money in his business and the sniff side is to obviously provide a service and if you are within that community or outside of that community they'll accept you on the sniff side but that's probably not their money maker so they're able to devote part of their uh, that wing to COVID patients in part because they're diversified in other business ventures within senior care and assisted living and independent living to be able to pay for that. So just by being a nonprofit doesn't all of a sudden make him be able to do what he can do. Um, if you're a nonprofit nursing home and you don't have any money because you're not getting reimbursed by Medicaid, how are you going to devote a wing to, to COVID patients and dedicate staff to, to COVID patients and then shut down and re, basically remodel rooms, then take out the beds and take out the furniture and make it a relaxing lounge for people, for your staff, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but how are you going to do that when you don't have the money to be able to do that? When you're not even making money on the patients that you're serving, you're then going to get rid of uh, uh, money-making beds and rooms or barely money-making beds and rooms to be able to provide this type of care. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's it's the right thing to do, but it's not exactly just, oh, we're a nonprofit and we can do anything we want because we don't have to worry about money. Well, if you're a nonprofit and you're literally non-profiting on anything and you're not making any money, it's going to make it very difficult to be able to make these decisions and provide this type of uh, uh, change in service that he was able to provide, which was great of him. But he also had money coming in from other um, avenues. So, you know, yes, he goes, we took beds out of service. We took dollars away from the income statement. We obviously knew that the economic impact of doing that would be, um, be bad, but we felt it was part of our mission and values. And I give them all the credit in the world. That still takes guts to do. It still costs them money. It still wasn't good for the profit margins. But you have to have the money to be able to do that in the first place. Um, and so... Uh, you know, one of the issues that, that they continue to, to talk about is that the financial interest for profit uh, for the financial interests of for-profit nursing homes are often in conflict with their mission to care for older adults. And this kind of goes part this part of the, the article goes into how do we treat 
older adults. And and they talk about is, is that a nursing home is, quote, basically considered a place where you send people when you don't really know what to do with them, says uh, Louis, uh, Louise um, Arison. Um, Louise Arison is another professor, um, I believe is another professor, a geriatrician and professor over at UC San Francisco. Um, As a society, we would never put up with the state of nursing homes today if it wasn't for our general disregard of older people. Quote, we imagine old older people to be of very little value. So it's kind of like time, time served as a human being and all those years you spend working and raising your family, they eventually become worth nothing. Um, to show respect for older adults, Arson would like to see nursing homes be more than actual homes, stylish and stimulating, rather than soulless institutional corridors of plastic and stainless steel. Um, you know, she's absolutely right. You know, where I think some things are maybe a little pie in the sky, if you're going to have a, a nursing home with only 12 residents or 8 residents, that's going to be really tough to do. Um, especially in the climate that we have. We're talking about to be able to do that, you need to have a complete overhaul. Yes, you're going to need less staff, but then at the same time, you're not going to be able to maximize your your dollars on um, the building you have. So you have to think about it in terms of if they're putting two to three to four people in a room in a nursing home, they're trying to maximize every single square uh, piece of square footage they have. So if you go to an assisted living or you go to a nursing home, or even if you go to a hospital, even though hospitals are a little different now because they charge for parking, you'll notice that when you go into a parking lot, there's usually not a whole lot of parking and it's usually really tight. And that's not by accident. It's because the parking spaces don't make assisted livings and nursing homes any money. And a lot of times what happens is that some of the residents there just park their car there because they claim that they're going to go out and, 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 uh, and do you know grocery shopping or going on errands. And I've seen cars that clearly haven't been driven in months, if not years. But they need to provide that to some of the residents or they won't get residents to move in. Um, additionally, you know, you have family and staff that need to park somewhere. But at the end of the day, that asphalt that asphalt um, doesn't provide them any income. What provides them income is bodies in beds in rooms. And so the more people you have in a room, the more people you have in your community, the more you're charging, which means the more money you're making, which you see why um, assisted livings that focus on memory care that only have one um, floor can be much more expensive than other assisted livings that have four or five uh, stories. Well, when the more stories you have means the more people you can fit on the same plot of land by building up and then all of a sudden the price goes down because the price per person um, is, is less because your, your, your break even is being hit much faster and you're going into profitability quicker. So you're, you're going back and forth on how do, you, how do you go about this, how do you make money while also being able to provide care. And what I totally agree with, with what um, um, Luis is saying is that, and, and, and the quote in the beginning, I've yet to meet the person that's excited about going to a nursing home. I'm still, you know, that, that gentleman, um, I believe it was a, a 
David Grabowski said, I'm still waiting to meet the person that wants to go to a nursing home. And if you've ever gone into a nursing home, you, you know that at, at best they're sterile looking because they look like a hospital and they're not welcoming. You know, generally the, the building might be old or it's not exactly very fashionable of a building. Um, and versus when you go into an assisted living, and, I, and granted they're comparing apples and oranges because they provide two different services, but at the same time, they're, they're housing complexes. You're putting somebody in to a new home. That is their new home. So they are still very similar in that manner. When you go into new assisted livings, they're beautiful. They're places that I would want to live. They're places that are nicer than where I live. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, you have all these activities. You have beautiful flooring. You have these big fireplaces. You have these common areas with, with lots of, of comfortable seating and libraries and bars and little nooks and cafes and coffee parlors. You've got all this great stuff. Then when you go into a nursing home, there's a small little corner cut out with a, a, a table that has stale coffee. And that's basically what it is. And that's how it's been. And even in towns in Massachusetts where I've gone, where, where Lexington and Concord and Weston and Wellesley, these very, very expensive towns that you can't buy a home there unless you've got a million dollars in your pocket. The nursing homes don't look great. And the nursing homes tell me right to my face that they are unlikely to refer to me because they don't have patients that can afford can afford private home care. I'm not complaining about this. I'm just making the point that even in the most wealthy towns, there's still nursing homes that are serving the poorest populations and they're run down and they're getting beat up. And I, there's a nursing home that shut down a few years ago right in Lexington, Massachusetts. I had gone into it before in the past and I walked out of there saying, I would never, ever in a million years put my dad into that nursing home. And it was in Lexington, which you need a million dollars to buy a starter home, basically. And so, you know, the point to bring that up is, is that you know, even in these, these nice towns, it's still a problem where you would assume, well, well, there's all this money in this town, which means that their nursing home's probably fabulous. I'm not saying the nursing home was, all the nursing homes are dumps. They're not. Some of them are nicer than others. But at the end of the day, there's generally not a whole lot of money that's going to be put into sprucing up the nursing home. It looks run down. It looks like it's been, you know, kind of beaten up over the years with wheelchairs and hospital beds and people coming and going. And a lot of them could use a, a facelift. And so, you know, wouldn't you rather, if you knew you were going to be placed into a nursing home like where you li were living, that it was nice and it was clean and it smelled good and it looked like it had updated amenities and it looked at least the part? I think that's not something that um, that is too hard to imagine where if you were moving into a nursing home, you'd want it to be somewhere you'd want to live. And so there is a lot to be said about, um, about you know, that, that situation. Now, an example, and I just had this conversation yesterday. Um, my aunt and uncle gave me a call and just said, hey, how's everything going? Ba, 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 ba. And they live down in Florida in the same, you know, uh, the same neighborhood that my dad lives in. And so um, there they have a house up in New Hampshire that they like to go to when obviously in the summer when Florida gets too hot, they do the whole snowbird traveling thing and they want to go back up to New Hampshire. Well, how are you going to get up to New Hampshire when you're 80, 85 years old? Both of them 
mobility-wise are fine. Both of them uh, mentally are fine. But they're in the most at-risk age group for COVID-19. So the last thing they want to do is get on a plane, but they're not really too excited about spending 24 hours in a car. And then even if you are spending 24 hours in a car, um, you know, you're going to have to stay overnight, you know, once, maybe even twice, um, depending on, you know, the, how, how much, um, how much driving you think you can handle. And that's at risk of going into to a hotel or even staying with family and friends along the way. They're still at risk. And the reason I bring it up is not to be like, oh, well, it's so tough that the, the family members that I have have two homes and they're trying to figure out how to get there. The, 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 the point of bringing this up is that they said to me, well, they don't want to get sick and they certainly don't want to go into a nursing home. They don't want to have to be put into a hospital and then put into a nursing home where they're going to be there for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever it is. They want to avoid that place as well as the hospital at all costs because who wants to be there? Nobody. Nobody wants to be going to a nursing home, and that's got to be extraordinarily tough. And so I, I agree at the same time with a lot, of, a lot of the points in this, which is, hey, listen, the staffing and the money is a big issue. And what you talk about with we don't have enough money for the staff, they're absolutely right. But the other issue that they have is, is that staff turns over quite a bit because there's very little loyalty to the staff. The staff is hired and then is given the most amount of hours they can accept before that they before they can get um, health insurance benefits. So you have a bunch of people that are working part-time at nursing homes and probably only a few that are working full-time and able to access all those benefits. And then on top of that, when you don't have that loyalty to your employee employees, you're not generally going to get that loyalty back from them when things get bad, which is what's happened over the last uh, the last three months. And because of that, nursing homes are, are wildly understaffed. And then all of a sudden you have the, the very issues that were talked about in this article where there's no hand washing being done when they go from patient to patient. Well, if that was a problem when they were properly staffed, what do you think it looks like when they're not properly staffed, when they're down 20, 30, 40% in staff? Well, if they didn't have the time or the, the training or the wherewithal to wash their hands, where are they going to get the time, the training, and the wherewithal to do it when they're running around like uh, chickens with their head cut off, trying to figure out how to uh, care for all of these people with such a reduced amount of staff that's available? So at the end of the day, you know, if you're not willing to pay people uh, good money, you're not going to get loyalty from those people. And they're going to, and the, 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 the first time you, they can get a 50 cent or a dollar raise somewhere else, they're going to bounce because they have to worry about themselves and their family first, which I'm not blaming them for. But until we're willing to fund these, these um, facilities more and to treat older adults with the respect that they deserve and the respect that and the and the quality of care and the quality of life that they deserve, you're going to continue having these issues. And so it's not just money. If we're going to dump a bunch of money into nursing homes, which is going to be coming out of our taxes at some point in time, whether we keep running up the deficit or we pay for it immediately, well, then at the same time, should they be for profit? You know, it's hard to sit there and wonder, well, should it be for profit if we're going to have to give uh, that that amount of money? Because if they're if they're making a million dollars a year at 10 percent profits, let's just say, you know, for round, easy numbers. Well, if you obviously give them uh, 50 million dollars, well, then at 10 percent profits, they're making 
$5 million a year. So profits are going to stay, um, stay the percentage-wise, they might stay the same, but they're going to go up because the amount of money that's coming in. And so, so certainly some of that needs to be going to, uh, a lot of that needs to be going to the staff that's working there as well as the, the quality of the, the building itself. Um, but of course, it, it begs the question, should it be um, private, privately owned for-profit companies? And that's a question that I think we're going to be talking about over the next few years, or maybe once Corona goes away, then we kind of forget about it like we've done in the past. Is that something that it's going to say, oh, well, you know, it was really important to us then, but, you know, other things come up and it's not a priority anymore. And that might be the case as well. So, you know, I thought this was a very good article. I wanted to get it out to you. And again, it was um, on NPR and it's called Ideal Nursing Homes put quality, ideal nursing homes put quality of life before profits. So there's some, some pros and some cons there without a doubt, but with with what I think everybody can agree on, and it was interesting because, um, you know, uh, the professors that they spoke to and the, uh, the, the, the experts, as well as the um, CEO of the American Healthcare Association, um, all agree that there's a problem with nursing homes and the, the question is where the problem is. And like most things, there's probably a number of, of things that need to be fixed and there's no one smoking gun that needs to be done, you know. Um, and because of that, there's, there's a number of things that need to be fixed, which means that it's much more complicated to fix it. Um, so with that being said, thank you so much for listening. I hope you're having a wonderful day. 